Rosemary Okello Olale is my guest today and I'm very excited why because Rosemary has been on my list of the women I had narrowed down that I'd, I'd want to meet or talk to so I'm very excited that I get to do this she is the director Africa Media Hub at Swarthmore University but more importantly is that she has been in creative communications gender and strategic specialism for more than 20 years meaning she's been there she's done that she knows the ins and the outs she started at Nation TV and today she's heading as I mentioned a media hub at Swarthmore so just get right into it i got vaccinated last week i i got moderna and it was really hectic it really did a number on my body so just like to know did you have you gotten a chance to get vaccinated oh yes i've got the two vaccination astria the two vaccination actually were the first ones so i got vaccinated the first one in april the second one in uh, by end of june what what has been the vaccine uptake around the school in Strathmore, Adbo, I'm more getting vaccinated. Yeah, Strathmore organized uh, because we have a clinic at Strathmore and we organized a vaccination within the Strathmore. So it has been really a, a high uptake and those uh, and it's easy for the staff. But uh, mine I got it before the institution when the government was still delivering it. So it was when hospitals were the one delivering it at uh, either Nairobi, Kenyatta as well as uh, your LinkedIn is actually your Wikipedia when I Google because I mean you're, you're among the very few people now I know who has a whole Wikipedia page and it reads Rosemary Okello Olale is a communication specialist and an expert on media, gender and development issues. But Rosemary, where does your story begin? It's a long journey. It's, you can see a 56-year-old journey. It's uh, a long stretch from rural to urban to global. So my story begins, especially uh, my career. It's when after finishing high school, um, I wanted to be a communication. And then I went into communication um, course. Uh, I, I, by that time, I didn't get the full credit. So I went to what we call the Kenyan Polytechnic, which is the technical university. Yeah. And uh, when I did, uh, by that time, diploma and higher diploma, which was equated to actually um, kind of a degree, then I went to postgraduate in London School of Journalism, where I did uh, my two-year postgraduate school. Um, but at that time, um, when after college, I had my internship at the Nation. And within the Nation Media Group, I was able to learn all the media processes, starting from the newsroom to uh, features desk to sub desk, as well as uh, going through to to reproduction on the way a newspaper is produced. So while uh, actually um, my first day within the news uh, newsroom, entering the news desk, we were six of us, the two girls and three uh, four boys, and the boys were taken to the news desk as we were taken to the features desk. And within the features desk, there was not enough space. And that's when I ended up into the Sunday desk where uh, my senior, Dorothy Quayo, invited me and said, you know, come and sit here. And while sitting here, she introduced me that, you know, you can actually become an, a specialist in certain area you choose. So, of course, I was taught, I, I was shown how to do the features article for the nation. Then one day she challenged me that, can you start a, a children's page and a women's page? 
So within this children's play, that's when I said, what can I do about the children's play? Because by that time, interviewing children was not easy. So I said, let's start the grandmother story page. And that's how I started it. And within the women's page, it was looking at the fashions, looking at how women, issues affecting the women profiles. And that's, by that time, gender was not an issue. It was women's in the news, women's in the media. And for women to be, get space in the media, either it was negative, or it was either you're a daughter of, you know, a high profile a person. So women were not recognized for their work. So um, when women could be uh, covered, it was either they were, were either the, the women who are died, either who were HIV AIDS, or uh, who are doing, you know, negative things. Let us start thinking that, look, there are ways in which women produce, uh, contribute to the country positively. And that's the time uh, also the issue of the talk about the international women's issues became women, you know, women and development, women in development, among others. So we started looking how can the media capture these issues in a positive way. You have mentioned Dorothy and you also mentioned uh, that you, when you started, there were very few women. And that this brings to my question, uh, like now in supply chain, there is only 37% of the average supply chain population professionals who are women. And as an expert in gender, how do you think we can merge that gap? I can say it's still a long journey. It's like uh, the way we look at uh, life and uh, look at the positive aspect. Uh, so long as you have a framework and a guideline on how to do it, um, everyone has to be educated why they need to embed gender into it. And so in the international principles that have been put in place, if I can take you, I can take you back into the UN, how the UN have been able to actually bring out these issues. So uh, we can look at it um, during the, uh, the 1975, when uh, the first UN conference came into place and they were able to make governments start looking at women as far as uh, policy are concerned. Then 1985, um, so I'm taking you to the what we call the United Nations Journey of Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women. So the 1985, where actually the key issues were equality, development and peace, because that time there was a lot of war. And then uh, we're looking at um, 1995, where women's empowerment became an issue and uh, Beijing platform for action was actually given by that so we say the landmark in policy terms when it came to gender issues and setting global policy framework to affect gender mainstreaming as far as advancement of uh, gender equality and uh, empowerment of women are concerned. There is still a long journey before women are empowered. I know many people say but women have been empowered but then you what you're saying that we still have a very long way to go for us to reach to a point where women can be said to be fully empowered, right? Yes, because uh, you know I think uh, we um, I can't say fighting or addressing gender inequality. It's only a policy framework. It's also a societal because it comes with culture, it comes with beliefs, it comes with the way we have been raised, and that's why media play a critical role because changing the narrative from a cultural to uh, a way in which we can see 
uh, women as equal partners in economic development, equal partners in the way we address issues is still a long journey. So we might have a framework within which public institutions are addressing, but uh, the way the seed is planted from the household to outside, it still impacts on it, that empowerment we're trying to address. So, Rosemary, you took part in writing the book Beyond the Shadows of My Dream, Martin Odrol Otieno, that is a biography, alongside Martin Odrol and Daniel Olale. How was this experience for you? Um, I learned three things, uh, especially Beyond the Borders book. I learned on how resiliency is critical, learning from women like Fibia Sio, Martha Karua, and other women from the region who I profile in the book, how it's, it has not been an easy journey for them. It, it, despite the education, even the exposure, you still has to have a continuous effort to address gender issues. So it's like you don't drop your, 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 your track while uh, addressing it. You keep on, it's like exercising. You keep on exercising in order to be fit into it. And many a times you get it easy, many a times you get it hard, but resilience is the key. And uh, uh, autobiography of Martin as a leader also taught me one thing that leaders are not made. Um, leaders is something that it's a passion that you want to make a difference. And leaders, leadership is something that you can be able to actually be a leader in any sphere of uh, opportunity. Because for Martin, he was a leader in private, public, even now in his own organization. And the fact that a leader can make a difference is what came out in that autobiography. Should we be expecting a book from you? <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, there are many aspects of uh, books. Not uh, um, about me, yes, but also in the ecosystem where I'm working in and looking at the data and uh, looking at the, the way gender actually have translated um, numbers into voices and uh, I've translated numbers into voices and, and, and uh, faces in the sense that initially women were not effective participatory neither uh, they were their voices being heard in decision making but because of data now we are seeing free, uh, more frequently women being referred to as equal decision makers and also decision makers should take gender into consideration for effective um, decision in the sense that uh, uh, when, uh, for example, like in health, in maternal health, you could say 10% of women are dying of child, you know, uh, in maternal health. But now with the data, you can say that 10% can actually, call, are they 10 million or are they 2,000? Two, two, uh, uh, so that it can bring actually emotional, emotional perspective into the way we make our decision. So, Trying to write books based on how that has disrupted in the way we look at things is one of the areas I'll be looking into in the near future. So there is this aspect of gender that you are really passionate about and you bring in data into it. I work, I also work with Open Institute and really, we really dive into open data and open governance. But how did you get from the news desk to data and the news desk to gender issues? <laughs> Okay, uh, so I must say that uh, a nation gave me a perspective of why it's important to, to focus on gender and why it's important to give women space and why gender was actually 
the way to go because uh, from the nation I was able to start writing for the Women's Future Service which was based in Rome and, um, and also in India and the African office was based in South Africa. So after a while then the Africa office was being closed and uh, I talked to my colleague Colin Lomona whom I suggested that it's high time we also we need to start something in Africa that could focus in the way women issues within Africa could be reported because still even though the Women's Future Service could give space to the women's voices it was still biased. We could not get the voices of the rural women into the global perspective. So that led me to start uh, with my colleague um, Juliana and Rose Lucalo to start uh, the Africa Women Feature Service, um, AWC Features, which was focusing on features on women in the rural areas and trying to bring them to the global perspective. So we syndicated these features both to all media houses here in Kenya, within Africa and even global. And uh, this is the way we started getting that uh, actually we couldn't Trans, uh, transform the way women's issues were being looked into. And through this perspective also, we were able also to capture the way UN were, uh, were doing their, carrying out their session. And we could say, what are the gender perspective of this? Uh, especially during the Beijing Platform for Action, we were able to produce a daily newspaper for the conference in five languages in Arabic, French, Spanish, English, as well as um, also in, um, is it in Mexico? And then um, uh, you are at the Habitat 2 conference also were able to produce the, the daily newspaper from a gender perspective. And during New York also, we were able to produce uh, various uh, newspapers for the UN and actually gender became a critical perspective. Said, what is the gender perspective of each country, each region, and also um, each, uh, the issues that the UN was trying to raise. So as a result of this, I've worked in the AWC for almost 18 years as, the, as a founder, as well as as the executive director. I was able to, trans, uh, to can I say, transit into the philanthropic world where I work with the Ford Foundation as a program officer and within that time, that's where the gender issues started actually being discussed. And I, I saw a perspective on how actually media and gender, or media and data and gender was critical into the global issues when it comes to digitization and uh, data transformation of the, of the way we look at things. You have worked for AWCFS, I've just gotten that acronym right right now, for 18 years and now looking back at the work that you guys have done what do you think is a highlight whereby you th you felt like oh you know what i have been pushing for gender and gender issues and i think this is a highlight and this is something that is a push over compared to where where the when, when the journey began well there are major highlights one um many media houses now were able to actually have a gender policy issues within their media houses and also looking at gender policy, we're able to look at how does the global commitment into gender issues being transformed in the various institutions, even here in Kenya from a public policy point of view. And uh, we were able to highlight uh, those uh, um, uh, motions that were being introduced in the parliament by Phoebe CEO and also Beth Mugo that saw the affirmative action bill being, being actually 
uh, being discussed in the media houses. The other thing also, um, making women also become a um, major player in the political realm, especially like the Northeastern, where women were seen like they could not be in the political perspective, and trying to highlight them and making sure that their voices are heard, and making sure also the radio, um, radio areas, uh, radio stations introduce uh, women's forum where women could discuss issues affecting the communities and also their, the way they look at things. And uh, this brought a lot of transformation in the various um, counties, now I can say counties before it was regions, and also various countries in Africa. As, as, as I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand, you have this journey whereby women are not in papers, we won't hear about their stories in radios. Basically, they exist, but they're not seen. And now you've started this journey of ensuring that women are seen, women are heard. You've worked in philanthropy, you've worked for the UN and other organizations. But how has it been for you as a woman to advocate for gender and gender issues? You know, uh, this is where we say commitment and passion comes in. And when you're committed to something, you want to see it uh, in succession. And you're, com you're passionate about something, you don't give up. So anywhere I've worked in, I've always looked at what are the gender perspective of each issues I'm trying to address. Even now at Strathmore, I'm also looking at that from academic point of view, what are the gender perspective on some of the areas we are trying to focus on in the academia, even curriculum development, how are women being involved. So commitment and passion becomes very critical in all this journey. But also trying to also look at the gaps which are there. So like um, um, I've been able to uh, produce so many training manuals, like uh, when you look at uh, gender reporting guidelines that we produce that is being used other, in other countries. The sheer economics that we produce with Colleen in Southern Africa, we're looking at the women perspective of economics and how women economics actually if taken into consideration, can add more value to the GDP. So the She Economics book was highly um, uh, recognized. The gender indicators for the SADAC region, where we produce the indicators, also was part of that team in the SADAC region. So when you look at that, you start developing tools, manuals, frameworks, such that, that it makes it easier for even people who are not actually working on, like ignoring, saying actually is a, a a good thing to include it in their framework and in their policy. You are an expert in the matters of gender and gender issues, but fortunately or unfortunately, women and girls do not exist in a vacuum. Boys exist also, and we have seen, or maybe it is said, that there is now an issue when it comes to the boy child. Do you think that the boy child is at risk? And if so, what should be done? And that's why the word, the word gender comes in. Gender is looking both at boys and girls. Gender is not only women. And I think I, this needs to come out very clearly. And when we say gender, we say that there are ways in which women look at things and there are ways in which men look at things differently. And if you bring those into combination, then you can be able to have what we call holistic policy. And that's why the reason why when you look at gender, achieving gender equality goal 5 of SDG and empower all women and girls, it's because for the longest time, women and girls have not been given the space because of either cultural or societal beliefs or um, policy-making space 
And that's why we're saying when you look at gender, we need to take consideration there's the other gender that has been ignored for the longest time. So even now as we're addressing it, we're not forgetting the boy child. That's, that's why I'll say we're not forgetting the boy child because so many times when people see women or girls and we think of gender issues, people think women. And I have for the longest time, we're like, oh, gender, we think of women because of just, at no point in life was there put a label on a man for him to be in the kitchen. But then for women, and even to date, women are still be thought of to be in the kitchen. I was speaking to Iomba Motomoki and she said when she started her career, the greatest issue was that she used to work in rooms and men would wonder, why, why are you not at home with your husband? You know, So it's really nice for us just to push issues on gender. Um, Rosemary, your LinkedIn reads, I'm currently focused on harnessing data revolution and reshaping the African narrative through creative communication and social justice storytelling. That is such a heavy sentence. Could you please break that down and what it entails? You know, data and storytelling is one of the key ways that uh, changing narrative about gender is going to be, is actually going to take place. For example, um, I want to give like during the COVID, um, the impact of the COVID, most of the people that were actually twice affected were women, though General Wicks just said that COVID, um, the infection rates of COVID is so high and so many are infected. But when you look at the home-based care, the women were still taking care of the patients, especially those who are being discharged or those who are um, not being admitted. And this taking care of the women, well, the story was not being said. So if we say that, uh, uh, um, 500 people are infected, 20 were admitted, uh, 200 were admitted, maybe 100 were not admitted. The story of the 100 that were not being admitted, what, because there was a number of women or girls who were taking care of these uh, admitted people, and even the boys. So that's from changing the toys. Uh, data will be able to give us the true picture of any situation, any condition, or any pandemic. And that's why we're saying that changing the, using data for social justice and uh, storytelling will be actually critical. And uh, this is where, um, even this week, we are trying to train on data and storytelling as a key indicator for economic development. Um, so those are things we'll be looking into. Especially when you look at yeah, your life, looking down memory lane, there is always, for me, there's always that one mistake that has humbled me, but at the same time, it has really taught me a lot. When you look at your professional life, what is that mistake for you? One that humbled you, but at the same time, taught you a lot. Professional life, um, you know, sometimes when you're given an opportunity, you can just say, oh, I'm going to work. But we don't look at um, lessons you can learn from that uh, professional life. You don't look at opportunity. And when challenges come, as, uh, you also don't use it as a way to grow. So I've learned that when challenges come in your professional life, it's a way to make you grow. And when um, challenges come to your life, it's also an opportunity for you to learn and lessons. And also, uh, professional life is a stepping stone to other ladders that you can climb. As you see, I started like a journalist. Now I'm in academia. And I could have just still ended up as a journalist. But the opportunities came that I saw opportunities I could still use my skills in the various format that I was able to grow into. 
which book are you reading now? I have had, I've interviewed two other women and Becoming by Michelle Obama has been a, a, a person's favorite. So which book are you reading right now? <laughs> Actually, I'm reading Michelle Obama's book. Uh, oh, you're the third yes, person. Yes, <laughs> I'm reading it. Uh, yeah. And it's inspiring, really inspiring. What has, can, is there anything that you've read from the book that has a light bulb moment? I read the book and when she talked, when she spoke about her relationship with her father, for me, that really resonated with me. But also the way she didn't just, um, the, the, her experiences made her to be who she is. You have a number of accolades. You went to Leicester, you, you're now a director at Strathmore and all that. But then when we strip you of all this that you've had and all the knowledge and all that, what remains of Rosemary? Um, the Estonian president, when she came to Kenya and came to Strathmore, and I remember Pamela Stoney interviewing her, and she asked, you know, what makes you, uh, why is it you're, you're a president and you're humble? They say that she, the, the answer was that, uh, uh, and I'm still a woman, a mother, even though I'm the president. If all this is taken away, I'll still be a woman and a mother, but what stays is my integrity and the way I look at things. So humility is the key thing that I learned from her. And for me also, all this is how integrity and humility will be critical for me, uh, as, uh, even as I grow older. We all unwind. I'd like to know what, which songs or which uh, musicians are your go-to when you're unwinding and just relaxing at home? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a religious person, and normally when I want is what um, I always um, go into singing like Sweet Hour of Prayer, and that really calms me down whenever I feel like I'm annoyed. And also listening also to old, old songs, like, um, um, is it Richard Richie, Richard Richie, and among others, that were very, their voices were very profound. Uh, not only uh, the lyrics, but also the, the, the tune of their voices could just calm you down. Everyone I've spoken to, mm. I think it's like seven, seven interviews, has mentioned that they were mentored and they're now mentoring. Did you get any mentor? You've mentioned Dorothy, you've mentioned Phoebe ACU. Did you have any mentors in your life? I, ha I had so many mentor mentors in my professional life. First, actually, Wangari Madai was my mentor, and I looked at how she was able to achieve um, so many things. I also had an opportunity to interview her during her time when she was starting the Green, Green Belt Movement, and we worked closely during even the Constitution Review time. But before then, she, I used to look at her as my mentor. Phoebe Asio was my mentor. And also, um, looking at Mamangina, you know, a small girl, of, um, uh, you know, accepting to be the wife of the president and looking at how humble she was. I also just, you know, mentorship is not about talking to one another. Mentorship is even looking at the characteristic and the way that person has been able to achieve her dreams despite the challenges. And the other mentorship I was able, um, actually, um, when I looked at Winnie Mandela, was a great mentor for me also. That was... Rosemary Okello Olale, she's working on matters gender, emphasizing that gender is just not only girl child empowerment, but also boys. She's spoken on matters being in media for the longest period, being a woman in supply chain, the issues being faced by women in supply chain, and what we need to work on when it comes to 
the gender-based violence and very many other things i as your host mukanda have learned so much i hope that you have a take home a thing or two remember to always keep it scanned and make sure you get the vaccine covid covid that is and you keep your masks on until next time have a lovely time